Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Open World Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Flood. And thank you so much for joining us. We always try to bring you the uh, most inspirational uh, lifestyle designers, location-independent entrepreneurs, remote workers to kind of figure out what they're doing and ask them how they're doing it. And in this episode, I'm joined by Brianna Royal. She's the co-founder of Virtual Powerhouse, and she also blogs at crazyfamilyadventure.com. She's working as a freelance virtual assistant, and she prefers to be called a virtual team member. And she's living in she's living the remote working traveling digital nomad lifestyle in an RV with her husband for the last 18 months, with four kids and two dogs. They've been roaming around the U.S. It's quite a story, and she's definitely someone with hands-on experience and knowledge about life on the road, earning money as a freelancer. And I know a lot of you are going to love this interview. So first of all, just want to welcome you, Brianna. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here and to share what we do. Where are you at the moment? We are currently in Destin, Florida, parked about 20 yards from the white sand beaches. It is gorgeous and beautiful here. Oh, that's amazing. So you're from uh, Colorado, right? Is that right? Nope. I'm actually from Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin. Cheesehead. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me a little bit more about your backstory and, um, you know, how did you break away from your, I guess, normal lifestyle, normal conventional U.S. lifestyle to driving from, well, all over the U.S., but now you're, you know, yards away from the beach in Florida. Yeah, for sure. So um, we kind of have like your typical story. My husband and I are actually high school sweethearts, started dating as juniors in high school, and the rest is history. Um, had our four kids, um, had two, you know, got two dogs, kind of had your, your typical American family. We actually built a huge house that we thought was going to be the house that our kids would bring their kids to. So we'd be grandparents in and kind of got all of that set up in place and then sat there and went, wow, we are spending like every weekend going to Menards and Target and buying stuff to, you know, fix this or that that broke in the house or filling up all this space. And we quickly started to realize that this American dream we thought we wanted was actually not what we were looking for and started to really feel that we were really losing our family bond because there was just so much time and energy that was going into maintaining this house, maintaining that lifestyle of living in, you know, normal society, if we want to call it that. Um, So kind of made us sit there and go, hmm, you know, what other options do we have out there? And we had decided we were going to homeschool our oldest son when he was about two years old. So we already knew that and we're going down that path. So that really just opened the door to say, you know, the world is ours. You know, what do we want to do with it? We have no time restrictions here, you know, around a school calendar or things like that. So we kind of started doing some research, actually did the research um, with my sister and her family as well. And we both um, came to the realization that this full-time travel thing looked pretty cool. And we were like, hey, like, yeah, you know, that, that sounds like something, you know, we'd really love to do. So started doing, you know, our own research on it. Um, we actually bought a smaller RV, my husband and I, so we could take it out on the road. And we were about a week into our first ever RV road trip. And I called my sister and I said, yep, we can do this full time. Let's do this thing. Let's make this happen. And that kind of really started the ball rolling with um, us getting our house up for sale, selling our 3,000 square foot house that was filled with everything, you know, selling all of the stuff within our house, um, donating a lot of it. And really getting everything lined up so we could make this a reality. And, and we did it. <laughs> so um, May 2014, we um, moved out of our house and actually moved into a local campground and started our adventure. So that's how we got to where we are today. I love it. So you sold your house. You moved into an RV, even with four kids and two dogs, which is impressive. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I think that uh, I think it's the like forty-year mortgage on a house or thirty-year mortgage that kind of just keeps people shackled. You know, they're kind of just uh, yes. controlled by the banks. 
For sure. No, definitely. And we definitely realized that like, like my husband, you know, was working. I had some side jobs and we were working to basically pay our mortgage, which felt like wasn't doing anything to that 30 year mortgage, you know, because you, you only so much goes towards that. So, yeah, we definitely felt very, very shackled to it. And um, we were lucky to be in a situation where when we did sell our house, we were able to make some money on it. I think since we had built it, you know, we were able to do that. So that was good to be able to just step away from it. But it was also very scary because, you know, everything tells you, no, you need a house, you need this behind you, you need to have that investment and, you know, everything. But we just realized like we want to live for the now. We don't want to live for 30, 40 years from now. We want to live for today. Yeah, that's a great point. I don't know what it is about growing up in the U.S. and trying to make it in the U.S., but it just, I almost feel like we're brainwashed into this default mode of living when, uh, I don't know where it starts, but ever since we're like kids, you know, when we're in high school too, and all of our friends are applying for universities, everyone's trying to compete to get to the best and brightest school, um, you know, and, and it's just like, I, I never understood it all at all, you know, like, I never... And there was never really any compelling reason why, except it's what everyone else was doing, you know, and then you go through school yeah. and then you got to, so what you got to do is you got to borrow money to pay for school and then you got to work <laughs> afterwards to, to pay for the money you borrowed. So it doesn't really make sense. And then you, you go yep. for home and you go for home and it's the same thing. And, and why do, why do people do it? No one asks why. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and a lot of people aren't willing to say, well, what's another option or willing to put themselves out there to just try it and, and see if maybe there is something else that's possible. And by no means are we are we feeling like, you know, we have no fear, like we aren't concerned with anything because, no, of course not. We're concerned about, you know, making sure we have enough money and that we're doing the right thing with our kids and our family. But when you stop and look at it, when you're in a house, you still have fears and you still have concerns. They're just in a different way. Am I going to lose my job? Then how am I going to afford my house? I mean, it's just, that's just life. There's always going to be something in your head that's saying like, oh, no, should I be afraid? Is this wrong? Is this right? So we just figured, hey, what the heck? Let's go try something new and different. And, you know, worst comes to worst, we don't like it or things don't go well. Guess what? We can always go buy another house or rent a house or, you know, do something else like that. There's nothing that says that what we do today is going to define the next 5, 10, 15 years of our life. There's always options. And that was really what kept us moving forward with it. And also that idea of not wanting to have that regret, not wanting to look back 10 years from now and say, we wish we would have tried this traveling, this full-time traveling. We did not want to feel that way. So there were a lot of tears and a lot of, I don't know if we're doing the right thing. Are we sure we love this house? You know, we, all our families here, our friends are here. But when it came down to the end of it, it really was about, we did not want to have any regrets and we wanted to make our focus be on our family and deepening our family bond. And we felt full-time travel was an awesome way to do that. What was it that kind of planted the seed and inspired you and, and kind of helped you to realize that there there was another option? You know, I've kind of always been someone that doesn't want to be in the box. I, I've always been someone to kind of say, like, you know, I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. If someone tells me to do something, I'm going to do the exact opposite. You know, like, I've just always kind of been that way. So I think it just became, again, we had this freedom and we had this opportunity. And, you know, got to love the Internet and social media we just randomly, you know, see things coming in from other blogs or other social media pages of people that were out on the road living this lifestyle. So it was really that that kind of opened our eyes to the possibility of it. And then my sister was a big part of that too, just talking with her and her doing her research and her seeing these other opportunities as well. So it kind of gave me someone else to talk to about it that wasn't saying like, you're completely nuts. Why are you even thinking about that? Instead, she was saying, yeah, this looks awesome. How about this? Did you check out this site or that site? So it kind of gave me, you know, a partner in crime outside of my husband, because obviously when you're in a relationship, you feel like, you know, it's a little bit of a different, he's probably not going to tell me I'm totally crazy. Where <laughs> Um, you know, my sister, you know, maybe what in a different way. So it was, it was nice to have someone there really have those conversations with. And then once my husband was on board, it was just, you know, once we got the bug, we couldn't let go. Okay. So that's great. So you had inspirational role models. You saw other people and other resources online that were uh, stories of people that were bucking the conventional nine to five lifestyle. And I think it's amazing. It's, it's great that you had a sister that was on board with this too, because I think that the social pressure is something that holds a lot of people back. You know, if, if their friends and their family discourage them, you know, from, from doing anything unconventional. Uh, but it sounds yes, like you didn't have sure. to deal with that. 
Did you have to get rid of any friends? That, that were no. No, because you know what? And a lot of times I would read that. Like people would say, these people that were traveling, like, oh my gosh, my friends said I was crazy. My parents, they don't want to talk to me. And I was like, I must just have a really cool group of friends because they were all like just very supportive. Not that they said they were going to come join us on the road. It was kind of more like, oh my gosh, it's awesome. I can't wait to hear how it goes. <laughs> so kind of that idea that they wanted us to maybe be the guinea pigs for, uh, you know, this lifestyle. But no, we were very lucky in that way. And actually, um, it's funny because my parents are actually have their house up for sale right now, bought a fifth wheel and are currently traveling with us as well. So talk about support. Um, my parents are definitely on board as well. And my husband's family has been very supportive and has come out to visit us on the road as well. So we're, um, we're very lucky that way. And um, hoping that we're demonstrating for all sorts of people, be it someone's parents, someone's sister, friend, that this lifestyle can be a reality and it really can work with the family and hoping that encourages, you know, other people to either do it or support someone that they may know that is, you know, going down this route as well. Excellent. And you must be saving a lot of money just by living in an RV and living mortgage-free, rent-free. I, I always had that idea if I go back to the U.S., I, I think I'd like to spend a while just living out, an R, out of an RV. Because I know there's people like uh, Tynan who does that. He, he lives in San Francisco out of an RV, and he'll use a motorbike to commute around. Nice. And just, just save so much money um, doing it that way. You know what? It was interesting. When we first started, we thought that. And in the first couple of months, we spent so much money. <laughs> and I think, it, I think it was because we kind of thought that, like, oh, we're just going to have all this money now. But finding RV parks to stay at, it's not necessarily cheap. You have to be very smart about the RV parks you're staying at. They may not be in the exact location you want it to be because the exact location may be $100 a night. But you may be able to go down, you know, down the road 10 minutes and, and find a place for half that price or $20 a night. Or you buy this membership and that's going to get you discounts. And it took us a little bit of time to really work through and figure that out. Now that we've done that, yes, we are definitely saving money doing it this way. Our What we call our burn rate is a lot lower. We don't need as much money. Um, I mean, on top of the mortgage, but then also on top of the idea of, you know, the kids' activities or buying the new clothes because their friends all have the new clothes or the new shoes or, you know, that type of stuff. Like, you know, and obviously we don't have space for a lot of things or a lot of clothes. So, um, you know, all of that has really led to, yes, definitely saving a lot of money, but in complete honesty, it took some time to get to that point because it was easy just to spend a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I remember reading that article, and I, I remember that Tynan, uh, he actually parks on the side of the road. Have you guys ever done that? We have done that. Well, and I don't know if, if you're aware of this or not, but you can mm -hmm. park in like a Walmart parking lot overnight <laughs> for free. So pretty much any Walmart parking lot in the States, which I guess is a win-win for them because usually we go in and buy something when we're there. Um, so yeah, so they call that boondocking. And um, yeah, we have done that. Now we've been mainly on the East Coast. We haven't gotten too far into the West Coast yet. And when you get West Coast, there's a lot more of that, like what they call the BML land, where you can just park and stay for free. And we are definitely planning on doing that. But in the East Coast, that type of land is much harder to find. Um, it's out there and it's available. It's just not quite as obvious or easy to get to. And we have a pretty large motorhome, so we have to be careful that we're not going down some dirt road that we won't be able to turn around in or that can't handle our weight, you know, and things like that. So, um, but yes, we have done some of the boondocking and plan to do more in the future. But at this point, um, we have not done too much of it yet. Boondocking. Okay. Yeah, if, if, if you're interested in this topic, <laughs> go check out uh, Tynan's blog, uh, Tynan.com, and uh, he has a, a really well-put-together article about living in an RV, and, and he mentioned that uh, he chose a 1996 Winnebago Rialta because it's... Nice. Yeah, I think it's about 20, almost 21 feet, and mm -hmm. he can park it you know, pretty much anywhere because it's, it's nice and small. Yeah, and we're we're actually, you know, we went from the big house into this 39-foot, you know, RV that has four slides, and we tow a car. We were like, oh, we can never go smaller than this, and we are actually currently talking about potentially downsizing to something smaller because we've gotten used to this space now, and we're like, oh, yeah, we could totally do smaller now. So will we get into a 21-foot? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I'm not going to say never, but, you know, at this point, we at least know that, you know, we would be more than willing to try 
you know, to downsize again to that next level. So no, I think a 21 foot, especially if you're, you know, it's just you or just, you know, you and a, a spouse or something. I mean, that's, that's a perfect size, you know, for a couple, you, you need nothing more than that. And for a family, again, we'll, we'll let you know if we do downsize and if we find that perfect size. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, that people don't realize that they're not nomadic is that, um, your home has actually expanded a great deal in, in essence because the world is your home, you know? So yep. the RV and, and most people, the way the place that they live is just where they come back to sleep. It's where they come back at the end of a long day at work and they just crash on the couch and watch some Netflix and then they go to bed and sleep and then repeat the cycle. Yep. Yeah. No, for sure. And, and we do, and we do still live, you know, a little bit of that lifestyle just because we basically have an apartment on wheels. So, you know, we do have those days where we do just, you know, watch movies or we hang out inside and the kids sometimes need that little bit of a break, but that's where I feel like we're also ready to push our comfort zone to say, let's give ourselves less space inside. So it will force us to get outside even more than we already are and force us to really expand, you know, what we're doing when we are at these RV parks and things like that. So, yeah, and I'm, I'm totally right with you. We totally feel like the world is our home. Like our front yard and backyard changes all the time, and we don't have to maintain it. So win-win, right? <laughs> <laughs> Got a lot of yard space there. Exactly, and we don't have to mow it. Thank goodness. I hated when my husband had to mow our half-acre lawn. It took forever, and then we always had to weed and do this and that. And, like, yeah, it's awesome that we don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> no plowing snow either because you're spending the winter in Florida. Exactly, exactly. And again, if we did go somewhere where there was snow, which you can do in an RV, we still wouldn't have to really, you know, do too much. So, um, so yeah, and my kids, my kids are actually like, it's snowing in Wisconsin. We want to go see the snow. And my husband and I are like, guys, don't worry. We will see snow again. But even back in Wisconsin, you'd go out in the snow for about five minutes and turn around and come right back in. So it's all good. We'll get there. But let's enjoy the white sand beaches right now. <laughs> So let's let's talk a little bit about um, how you made this happen. You know how you made it feasible. What were you? What kind of work were you doing before, and how did you transition from that into creating a uh, virtual team member business? Uh, so when we. Yeah, when we um, first started, my husband was actually working for the University of Wisconsin Parkside. So he was in their IT department there doing computer work. And he was able to go into them and actually ask and say, hey, this is this crazy idea that we're looking to do. Would you guys allow me to work remote? Now, no one in his, his company where he was at had done this before. So it wasn't like there were a bunch of people that worked remote all the time or anything like that. Um, so it was kind of the first. So I think that's, that's a great point to put out there just because if someone's thinking, oh, my job would never let me do it, never say never because there's always a possibility that, you know, your job will allow you to, um, to live, you know, out wherever you need to be. Um, so he went in and asked and they told him, okay, yes, we can do that but we need you to be back about every eight weeks in Wisconsin to work a week in the office. So that kind of started the process going. So we were able to get out and travel, but then had to come back a week at a time or, you know, every eight weeks for a week. And then quickly realized one, we didn't like that we had to be back in Wisconsin because guess what? The West Coast is pretty far from Wisconsin. So we knew we weren't going to get there, you know, on this type of schedule. And two, my husband was always sitting at our table working from nine to five which was the prime time for us to be out and exploring these really cool areas. So I'd have the kids out there and he would miss out on so much. So we quickly realized like, no, this, this isn't, you know, we're excited we're at where we're at, but we know there's another step. And that's what really kind of drived us to say, what else can we do that's going to be truly virtual and truly let us be nomadic and be out there and setting our own schedule. And around some research, you know, my mom had thrown some ideas out there. We came across the virtual assistant option and then um, I signed up for some training classes through um, a virtual Miss Friday, who is another nomadic person um, who has a virtual assistant business and did her course and really learned how to kind of get the business going. So I got it started and then actually joined B-School with Marie Folio. And as ever since then, we've kind of, my husband and I said, all right, like this is the deal. Let's make this be what is going to support us. And we worked our butts off for a good six months to really build it up to where we wanted it to be. And that's when he went into his job to actually give his notice. And when he did that, they came back and said, 
what about you work part-time and you can be hundred percent remote? <laughs> we're like, okay, well, sure. We can, we can make that work. So he's still on board with his job working part-time at least until probably about this summer. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of what got us to be where we're at right now. And the virtual assistant business, it's, it's an awesome opportunity because there's so many things you can do within being a virtual assistant. It's really up to you to find that, niche in that area that you really enjoy and then just turn that into what your business is and, and what your services and solutions are that you offer. And uh, my focus has really become social media. So I like to do social media for small businesses. And again, I haven't met the majority of my clients. It's all done virtually and it works out great for both ends. So that's how we got to where we are today. And um, we're going to continue to grow that business along with also working on growing our travel blog as well. Um, Have great mentors in um, Kaz and Craig from My Travel Blog. Um, Perfect example of how you can make your travel blog be, you know, your full-time income. So looking to um, also go that route as well. So let me ask you, because I'm curious, uh, why was your husband's employer so eager to keep him even when he was dictating these terms? Wouldn't, wouldn't they say, okay, well, you can just go? Or, or what was it that made him indispensable to that organization? He's just a really good worker. I mean, he's one of those employees that, like, you know, he he never blew things off. You know, if he said he was going to do something, he did it. He got along with everyone in the office. He was a pleasure to work with, you know, all of those things. So I think he, to his credit, was just very good at building, you know, that solid relationship and just being good at what he did. And not that he wasn't willing to share his expertise on things that he did, but no one thought they needed to learn because he was there and he did it. So when it was his you know, time to say, hey, you know, I, I might not be here, they were all of a sudden was like, oh, no. <laughs> we need you here. Like, you know, a lot, you do a lot, you're good at it. So I think a lot of that came into play then with them deciding like, no, let's try to keep you on board. And I, and I really, really think that his, um, his work may even hope that when it does come time for this part-time gig to be over, that he may say, okay, we're coming back home. I, I kind of think they're hoping that might happen, but I don't see that happening. <laughs> <laughs> and just to clarify, he also has a pretty specialized, uh, expertise. He's in it. So, yeah, yep, yeah. computer work. So, and it's a database um, focus. And again, mm-hmm. he, at a smaller, it was a smaller college in Wisconsin. So, you know, there wasn't like a whole department of what he did. He was kind of the person that did what he did. Um, you know, that idea of working for a smaller company. So, that definitely came into play as well. But yeah, he's just, I mean, a great worker. And again, a pleasure to be with. And I think that's, that's key is people are willing to work with you if they want you around. And I think that's what the situation was with him. Any other tips for people that would want to uh, negotiate a remote work arrangement with their employer? Yeah, I think, I mean, the number one tip is just from day one, be a good worker and show up to work when you say you're going to be there. Get your work done on time. Like I said, you know, smile, be pleasant, you know, be someone that people want around. And then it really just comes down to asking. Be willing to ask, like, would you be willing to allow me to work remote? And when it first started, they actually said that he could be remote for three weeks, and then we had to be back every fourth week. So we did that for a couple months before he went back in and said, okay, can we evaluate this now and see where we're at? And if it's going well for everyone, can we extend it? So maybe starting from that point too, starting small, maybe doing a week or two at a time, and then evaluating it and seeing where it was. And when he did his evaluation, I think his boss was maybe hoping that, oh, maybe the evaluation will come back and everyone will say like, oh, it just isn't working. It was the exact opposite. People came back and actually said, you're more available now than you were when you were in the office. So (laughs) I don't know if that was because he was in a lot of meetings, you know, physically in meetings in the office. So people couldn't, you know, get a hold of him where now he wasn't in meetings all the time. Instead, he was, you know, available via phone or on his computer, you know, and obviously to conference calls and things like that, but a little different than actually physically being gone at a meeting. So it, um, yeah. So again, it's, you got to ask because you never know unless you ask. And if the first answer is no, then maybe don't take it as a total no, but instead kind of negotiate and say, okay, you know, I, I understand, but do you think maybe we could start to have me even work just one or two days a week from home and, and see how that works? And, um, and he did come in as well, kind of explaining, like, this is kind of the future of things. Like, 
you know, this is going to happen more and more often that businesses are going to be working remote because it really does save everyone money. So why not let me be that guinea pig to see if this does work and what processes maybe need to be in place to allow more people to do this down the road or to use it for budget cuts or, you know, things like that. So again, doing some of your research behind it to see reasons why it may help the company as well. Yeah. I remember reading a passage from the four hour work week that talks about this and, um, just how like they, the person would actually purposely be, be more productive when they were working remotely and then kind of just be more lazy when they were in the office. <laughs> just to show I didn't see that. But <laughs> <laughs> just to be able to come to their boss and say, hey, look at the metrics, you know, look at how this has worked out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's another way to do it. But the reality of it is, is that, I mean, really, as anyone who's ever worked in an office knows when you're in the office, there's so many more distractions than if you're just sitting by yourself at your computer. So the reality of it may just be that you really are more productive when you're just sitting at your house or in your RV or your apartment or whatever it is in a hotel room because it's just you and your computer and you don't have all those random you know, interruptions that happen when you're in an office setting. So it may just turn out, honestly, <laughs> that you really are more productive too. Plus, you have no commute, too, so that can save you uh, an hour each day. Exactly, and also make you happier because you're not getting stuck in traffic and having to do that whole deal. My husband could sleep in and then get up, roll out of bed, and start working, you know, which was awesome, too. So, yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's talk about your business activities and how you set up a virtual powerhouse. Um, just speaking from what I know, you know, from when I talk to people, I know that the vast majority of people are thinking of like uh, paying something like five dollars an hour when they hire a virtual assistant. So how do you uh, protect their rate and, and kind of be different and stand out when there's so many competitors out there who want to cut you? Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, there are still virtual assistant work at five dollars an hour that I would recommend people do because there are certain tasks that it just you know makes sense to do that. But from what I'm doing is I'm really one trying to be a specialist at what I do, and two that term like I said, wanting to instead be called a virtual team member is the idea that like I'm immersed in my client's business and their company. So I'm looking for other opportunities of ways that we can improve their business or improve their processes or improve their social media. Or if I see things come across my desk that I think would help a client, I'm sending that information on to them. So it's really, I think that part of it that sets me apart is that I'm willing to do that. I'm not just sitting down and saying, okay, here's my hour, start the clock. Okay. I'm going to type this, you know, fill in all this data and do all of this. And then go, okay, clock's done. And I never think about you again. It's, um, you know, totally opposite from that. Instead I'm doing my work. And then I'm also throughout my whole day as I'm doing everything, you know, keeping my eyes and ears open for other opportunities that I can help clients as well. Um, and then also, again, it just, it always comes down to just working hard. You know, I'm, I'm a hard worker and I, I, do my commitment. So if I tell you I'm going to have something to you by Monday at five, you're not going to get a phone call on Wednesday saying, oh, sorry, I haven't gotten to it yet. You'll have it Monday by five, if not before that. So I think, again, that's a key part of always making sure that I'm living up and actually above and beyond, um, you know, expectations that I'm setting and then just continuing to work on building that relationship and really helping them beyond just the things that they're paying me for that, you know, I'm saying I'm going to do, but instead bringing more to the table. So what type of tasks do you do and how have you helped these clients to grow their business or scale up their business? What have you, how have you come in and helped them? So I started off doing like straight kind of assistant work. So it was kind of like, okay, you have a project. Sure. Tell me what to do, you know, and I'll do that work for you. And I, I quickly started realizing like that was more where that assistant role came in. And I was like, eh, you know, I'm looking for something more. So I've done some project management work with clients where they've had projects that they really wanted to get off the ground and they just haven't been able to dedicate the time and energy that they needed to, to it. So I've been able to step in and say, okay, Hey, like, let me kind of take on this project manager role and, and tell me what you need and I'll get it done or give me that list of tasks you have. I'll go out, I'll put a calendar together for it. I'll kind of be, you know, behind you to say, Hey, don't forget, we have to get this done on this day, or I'll just do it for you. So kind of filling in that role so that those projects, cause a lot of the small businesses I work for too, are maybe just, you know, a one, one man show. So one entrepreneur out there trying to run a business and they just can't do it all. 
so kind of stepping in to be that that second person for that's looking out and helping making those projects that seemed impossible before impossible before possible and and really filling that in for them and then i also the route of doing social media so social media small business again is just one of those things that they just never have time for you know they they all know they need a facebook page they need a twitter account they just it just doesn't it never happens by the end of the day it's the last thing they want to worry about so i've been able to step in and with my expertise around understanding social media and how to make Facebook work for your business, if it be via the type of post you should do, via Facebook ads or promoting page, things like that, and able to bring that expertise to the table, and then also I'm able to just get it done for them. So they don't have to worry or think about it. They know every Monday morning that post is going to go out, and it'll go out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and they don't have to do anything for it. I'm there to take care of it and get it for them. So it's just really taking that weight off their shoulders and allowing them to be part of you know this virtual world that we know nowadays is so key to success of businesses. So let me ask you, how do you manage to find quality clients when and how did you do it when you were starting out? And I know you work with uh, Caroline Makepeace, who we also had on the show. She's one of the biggest travel bloggers in the world. How did you build that relationship and how did you build these other relationships? Yeah, that's obviously a key part as anyone that's out building their own business. So when I first started, um, my first client was actually one of my friend's husband who had a small business. So I was able to kind of, you know, start off by coming to him and saying, hey, you know, for the first month, can I do all of this for you for free? And if it's working, then we can talk about, you know, how much, you know, I'd, I'd be looking to charge you going forward. So that was really my in was to kind of find a client and say, I'll do it for free for 30 days, which was great for me because it gave me time to practice it was great for him because he was getting you know everything I was doing for free. And when we got to the end of the 30 days, you know, we sat down and we talked and we came up with a price that worked for him and worked for me. And from there, I was able to, um, you know, have my first paying client, you know, one month into starting the business. So I think that was really key to just learning the whole ropes of what it meant to have a paying client since I'd never done anything like this before. And then from there, it was really a lot of referrals. So just word of mouth. He was able to get me um, quite a few more clients just because he was happy with the work I was doing. So he was telling other people about it. I also gave him a referral discount. So anytime he brought someone in new to me, then I gave him a discount on his monthly bill. So that helped as well. And then when it came to getting um, CAS from Y Travel, that was actually through B-School. So I signed up for B-School with Marie Folio, which, again, I would highly recommend to anyone looking to kind of start their own business or already has a business and looking to take it to the next level. And um, CAS was actually my mentor um, through B-School. So I learned a lot from her. You know, I started working on growing my virtual assistant business to the next level. And, and then it just becomes asking. So it's reaching out and saying, hey do you need a virtual assistant? I'd be more than happy, you know, to be your virtual assistant if you'd like me to. So again, it's that same idea with my husband going in and asking at his job. It's having to kind of push that fear down and just say, I'm going to do it. What's the worst thing that they can do, but they can say no. So what the heck, let's just try. And if they say no, then I'll move on to someone else. So it, that's how it started with Kaz was kind of just putting it out there and, and her reaching back. I think it was actually via Twitter that we did that and um, her saying, yeah, sure, let's give this a shot. And then once I came on board as again with, with my other clients is I really focus on trying to see other areas where I can help and putting other things out there to say, okay, I'm doing this for you. I can see you also need some help in this area. Here's what I can do. Would you like me to do that as well? So always looking for other opportunities. Um, and then through CAS, again, more referrals came that way. And it, it's, it's kind of what it, it all is circling around to every time. It's, it's really a lot of referrals, a lot of, you know, word of mouth from people. And then I'm at this point right now, I actually just brought two team members onto my team because I was getting so many referrals that I couldn't keep up with it anymore, which is totally awesome. So I'm not complaining about it by any means, but it meant that I needed to start looking to expand my team so I could continue to offer, you know, the service and the solutions and the quality that I was offering in the beginning. So I've been able to bring on team members and now my next step is going to be for me to really start reaching out even more to people, which I, I'm not as familiar with because I have not had to do that in the past and really um, start to, to go down that path and, and see if I can make that work. But again, I know a no isn't really a no. It's just one more step closer to a yes. So I'll keep asking and, and hoping to get it to that next level. 
So a big part of it is, is networking and just kind of putting yourself out there, asking people if they need help. You're just reaching out constantly. Yeah. And, and also like just being aware, like if you see something come across some random Facebook post or you see something on Twitter saying kind of grasping it and saying, huh, okay. Like, yeah, I think that might align with what I'm doing. I'm going to reach out to them. So, you know, it's just, it's having your eyes open and being aware of all of those type, you know, of situations that come up all the time in social media. What is your offer when you reach out to someone for the first time? Are you still offering something for free? Are you asking to sit have them sit down and make a consultation and how do you transition that to actual client? No, what I've done now is I really tried to streamline my processes. So I do have a PDF document that lays out all of my solutions that I currently provide with a price along with those. So I will send those, you know, if the client, if I reach out originally and they say, Oh yeah, yeah, I'm interested, you know, let me know what you can offer. Then we'll either do a 30 minute, you know, call where I can talk to them and find out what they're looking for, tell them what I'm offering, tell them my price range, or I'll just send them over the PDF and say, Hey, take a look at it. If this does look like something you're interested in, in your price range, you know, let me know and we can talk about it. Or I will say too, if it doesn't quite align with what you're looking for, let's talk anyways, because I'm always willing to, you know, adjust the package to make it work for each individual, you know, client that I have. But no, I do not do the offering for free anymore. Um, I kind of feel like I'm at the point now where what I bring to the table, I can charge for, <laughs> you know, for the most part. But um, so, no, I don't do the free anymore. Not saying that I wouldn't if I went to take on something totally new and different that I had no idea what I was doing. I think offering something for free to clients, if you're learning something, is a great way for both ends to really, you know, benefit from it. So I'm not saying I would never do that. But at this point, I'm not going down that path. That sounds like something you probably picked up from B-School because I know that uh, Dan Kennedy talks about the shock and awe package, and I'm sure Marie Forleo probably has uh, some suggestion like that as well, where you kind of just send the, the prospective client something that really showcases your uh, expertise, your qualifications in a really impressive way, and then it just makes it really clear that you're going to bring value to the, to the organization. Yeah, for sure. And again, referrals are just an awesome way to do that too. And a lot of people will ask, well, do you have referrals? And it's like, sure, you know, here's a list of people you can contact or on my website, you know, having those referrals listed. And, and again, because I can show them one thing, I can, you know, promise them the world, but if they don't know me from, you know, the next person having someone they can actually talk to that can tell them, you know, the work I've done for them, you know, that's another huge component of helping people feel comfortable in a virtual world where it's so weird, like that you never actually meet the person. You know, everything's done virtually is still kind of unusual for a lot of people. Interesting. And I feel like that's something that you could hone in on too is, um, you know, whenever other people aren't doing something, that's a way to be different. So if other virtual assistants are just kind of, like you said, just showing up, collecting a paycheck, you never have any personal relationship with them, that's a way to really stand out. And I, I know that when I did uh, a marketing agency, like the biggest complaint people would have is, you know, after the contract is signed, they, they barely ever hear from the person. And so just like yeah. being able to communicate with them, show that you care, I think, you know, you can just really stand out that way a lot. Yeah, for sure. No, yeah. definitely. And I think nowadays with the way things are going too, with a lot of the virtual work and things like that, I think that component of it can get missed a lot. So definitely that idea that building relationships is never going to be old. <laughs> building relationships is always something that's good and helpful in any type of work you're doing. So let me ask you, because a big problem that a lot of freelancers have is they only get one-off projects, you know, like, um, They'll get one, one project and then the client leaves, they don't work with them again. So how did you set up a model for uh, recurring work and, and do it in a profitable and sustainable way? Yeah, that's that's very, very true. My sister's actually a graphic designer and she's kind of going through some of that right now. And I can see again why it is so important to have something, at least part of what you do, be consistent. So for me, I think going the social media route was very key for that because social media is consistent. You To have a good presence online, you want to have consistent social media. So that means every week I'm creating these posts for my clients. And the idea is I will be doing it every week for the whole year. Um, so I think building that model that allowed me to to provide a solution that was consistent like that was key to just 
making the business what I wanted it to be. I mean, leaving nine to five jobs where you have that consistent paycheck is such a big jump. So it was nice to be able to set something up that did keep it consistent. And then the other thing is for my clients that aren't social media based, but are more just, I guess, if we want to say assistant type of work, you know, more that one-off, I do talk to them about saying, okay, like this month, how many hours are you looking for me to do? And then I'll be very upfront with them and say, are we thinking it's going to be about this, you know, every month for the next like six months? Cause my time is limited. One of our goals is that I only work 20 hours a week and the same thing with my husband. So I can't do 40 hours a week for you for two weeks and then not do anything. Cause I'm going to fill that time in with someone else. Cause that 20 hours a week, I'm trying to keep very true and real too. So I kind of have to know ahead of time. So again, it comes down to that relationship and that communication for me to come to them and say, what do you think? Can we talk about this? Can we figure it out? And if it comes down to them saying, well, I don't know if I'll have work for you. Guess what? I'll find work <laughs> because in most places, again, entrepreneur, small businesses, there's always something you can be doing. So if I'm willing to say, sure, we have five extra hours this month. Sure. I'll go ahead and do this data entry that I normally wouldn't do because it's not, you know, what my passion is in, but I understand you need it and we want to keep the hours consistent. So one, I have this time set aside for you every month. So, you know, you can count on me during that time. And two, you need the work done anyway. So let's, you know, make it a win-win for both of us. So I think, again, keeping that communication open if you are in that freelance role and then also setting up different situations where it is going to be consistent. And even if that consistency is only part of the time, at least, you know, you'll have that consistent income coming up, coming in. And then if the other hours fluctuate, then, you know, learning how to plan and figure that out. Yeah, and you also offer uh, packages, like standard packages rather than the hourly model, which I think would kind of really tether you down if you had a bunch of clients and you're, you're working on with for them on an hourly model. Yes. No, and I, I learned yeah. that quick in the process. It was all of <laughs> a sudden like, hmm, wait a second here. Okay, I need to put this package together. So, yes, definitely yeah. doing. And that was something I learned in my um, virtual assistant schooling that I did in the beginning mm-hmm. was the package. She said she had too many years where, you know, she wasn't doing that and she quickly learned, you know, the same thing. So that was really good insight to have from the beginning. There's no, in, there's no incentive to work faster or to work smarter or to improve the process. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's... And again, it's that that idea that it all comes down to just wanting everything I do to be above and beyond and having a package like it's, it's interesting because it's like, sometimes that means I can work faster. So I'm making more per hour versus if I'm doing it at an hourly rate, it's, you know, I really have come to see that the package is the way to go because it gets the client more in a lot of situations. And sometimes it saves me time too, if I find a quicker way to do something. So I think it works well for both ends. So some of the services you have here, just to put it in perspective, you have uh, e-marketing, which is social media marketing on an ongoing basis. You have graphic design. You have business coaching and um, project management. Uh, how many clients do you have now? Uh, I, I kind of like knew you were going to ask that, and I was trying to count <laughs> my head. Um, the last time I counted, it was 12. So I can't remember if I'm still there or if it's fluctuated. So I'm going to say 12 and know that that's pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> was, was there a freedom number that you had and, and how did you just kind of de- deconstruct that? No, there really wasn't a number I had to have. It was probably a little bit more based just on a dollar amount around what our family needed to get by each month and kind of looking at that and then figuring out what the current clients I had and what their price was when I brought on new clients, you know, again, how many hours I had available and how much I was looking to make per hour kind of really helped to dictate for me um, where I wanted that, that to be. But again, now with the idea of trying to grow, you know, and bringing more people on, on my team to help with the work, like my intent is to grow that, you know, that number to hopefully 20, you know, 30 clients. And then if I need to bring more people on the team, I will, and we'll just continue to, you know, expand and grow it if there's work out there, which I feel like there definitely is. Yeah. I think that that freedom or what I meant is the, the target monthly income that you need to make. And I guess if you have 12 clients and you're charging $300 monthly package, then you're, you're getting 3,600 on an ongoing basis, plus the one-off projects that you might have consulting, things like that. So that's a really yeah, good way to yeah. look at it. 
Yeah, no, it definitely is. And that's and really in the beginning, I didn't look at it that way. It was kind of more like, I'll just take any client I can get right now as I was building my business. And now that I'm moving forward to that next step, step, I'm definitely looking at it that way as to say like, okay, if I want to bring on, if I want to bring a new team member on and have them have 10 clients that they work with and I'm going to pay them and I still want to make money. What does that number need to be at? So now I'm definitely being a little bit more smarter around it. Where in the beginning, it was just like, oh, you want me to work for you? Sure. I'll work for you. Sure. Let's just do this. You know, let's get started. Let's, you know, get this business going. And, um, which I think was key to really me learning it. But now as the months go on, I'm definitely each month, you know, reevaluating it a lot closer and having more of a plan around what I'm doing. Yeah, it's amazing to me how many freelancers haven't actually thought about that and haven't thought about what they have to make, how many clients they need, what they need to charge, and just kind of go in just trying to get whatever they can. And uh, it doesn't really work too well usually. I think that's uh, – I think of the example of, of Josh Whiteskin when he learned how to play chess. You know, he focused first on how to checkmate the king, you know, focus on the ending moves because that's the whole objective of chess. But a lot of people start just learning the opening moves and then they don't know how to actually get to the goal, which is to checkmate mm-hmm. the king. Um, and I think, I think it's a mistake. Yeah, but I think it's a mistake, but I think it's also part of the learning process. And, and maybe that's the reason that some people succeed at it and some don't, if you, if you don't realize it and and take it as a learning process and try something new and different, you'll always be stuck in that kind of wheel and that stress of like not having that consistency. So I feel I needed to go through that to realize I didn't want (laughs) it to be like that. And I wanted to come up with a different plan. And I'm just glad that again, probably through B school, through my other training um, mentors, I had seen things like that. I quickly realized, well, one, I don't want to be working 60 hours a week just to get by. So what can I do to make this? So I only have to work 20 hours a week. Um, and two, then just really evaluating it each month and seeing where I was at and really seeing where I wanted that future to be with the business. So if you want to learn more about what Brianna's up to, you can check her out at virtualpowerhouse.com. That's her virtual assistant business. And then you can kind of see how she's set this up, uh, really well put together website. And, um, Brianna, let me ask you, so do you have any advice that you would want to impart to people who might have who might be in your shoes maybe two years ago, and can you kind of break down that process of, of breaking free and, and getting to where you are now? Yeah, so my advice would be just make the decision you're going to do it and keep that decision in your head. And and really that decision has to be around your why. Why is it that you're going to do this? If we did not have our why as being we wanted to deepen our family bond, we wanted this freedom, we wanted to spend our time together as a family, if we didn't have that why, there would have been 20 times we would have quit. But because we had that why behind us driving us forward, it really helped to push us to just get past that fear. And, you know, it's going to be constantly stepping out of your comfort zone. So be aware of that and ready for the fact that you are going to feel uncomfortable, you're going to have butterflies in your stomach, but each time you get past it, it feels so rewarding. And then you just put yourself back in that, you know, uncomfortable zone again. And then, you know, over time you learn how to quicker, quicker and quicker get past that and, and just continue to push yourself. So know your why, No, it's not going to be easy and it's going to be scary, but by knowing your why, just allow yourself to continue to push forward and look for mentors out in the field that are doing what it is you want to be doing. And don't be afraid to reach out to them. Send them an email, friend them on Facebook, you know, tweet with them, whatever it might be, because a lot of the times they're willing to help and they want to help and they want to see you reach your goals as well. So don't be afraid to to ask people and to network and to get yourself out there but overall just know your why and stick with it can you tell me about a specific moment when uh, you hit a low point and you really wanted to quit um a lot of it had to do one when we were first leaving our house and the comforts of that a comforts of a nine to five a nice big house there a lot of tears over if we were making the right decision or not. So that in itself was a big move for us. But again, that whole why behind it and that idea of not wanting to have that regret really made us push forward and push through that and say we could always come back to this type of lifestyle if we wanted to. And then from a business perspective, it was in the beginning taking on clients and work that I really didn't know what the heck I was doing 
but believing that I was smart enough and capable enough to figure it out and knowing that if I just let myself sit down and focus, I would come to a, a conclusion. I would figure out how to get the work done. And that took a lot of those situations in the beginning before I started to realize like, Hey, I do kind of know what I'm doing now, you know? So again, that idea of just of being outside of your comfort zone in the beginning, and then just figuring out that your comfort zone quickly expands and your knowledge expands. If you're willing to sit down and put the work into it and focus and, and push yourself through. Yeah, that's great. Because as an entrepreneur, you're constantly dealing with that unknown element. You're constantly having to do something you've never done before. And, and it's just so much uncertainty and anxiety that can creep in. Uh, because yes. almost like no two days are the same as you're an, you're an entrepreneur. And, um, no, for sure. Yeah, I don't know if you've read the yeah. book The End of Jobs, but he, he talks about this uh, Kynefin framework, uh, C-Y-N-E-F-I-N. And it kind of just breaks work down into four different categories. And um, you have like simple work, which is like blue-collar work, complicated, white-collar work. And then the, the last two are, are complex and chaotic so <laughs> complex might be like an engineer or a doctor, uh, nuclear physicist, but then what he says is that entrepreneurs spend most of their time in the chaotic realm. You know, there's no, yes. <laughs> there's no framework for what they're doing. You know, there's no degree that you can earn for it. Um, so you just have to put yourself out there. You have to act, and then you have to adjust based on the feedback. Yeah, and I saw a comic on Facebook not long ago, and it showed, like, an entrepreneur that, like, you're at the top of the mountain, like, I'm the best at this. I'm so good at it. And then two seconds later, you're at the bottom, like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then one second later, you're, like, creeping back up again, like, I got this. And then next, you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's, like, constantly, like, what it feels like. It's just that chaotic, a perfect way. It's just it's chaos, but it's having to accept the chaos and having to um, turn that into energy instead of letting it bring you down. Yeah, it can be a frightening place to be because it's a bit like a seesaw, you know, as far as your emotions are concerned. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I did not expect that. I did not know that looking from the outside in. So it's definitely been a roller coaster ride, you know, getting through that. And um, I mean, I think it's, it's going to be constant and it's accepting that that is what this lifestyle is and, and learning how to deal with that and being okay with it and, and still making everything work. So for sure. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for this excellent uh, conversation and for all the insights that you've shared, uh, Brianna. Is there anything else that you wanted to leave people with, any way that they can uh, get in touch with you or find out more? Yeah, no, I think, um, like you said, the virtualpowerhouse.com is a great way to get a hold of me, along with um, crazyfamilyadventure.com. And on our crazyfamilyadventure.com media outlets, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all that, we're very consistent. So if you're interested in following along with our story, by all means, check us out on social media as well. And like I said before, I'm always willing to help anyone that has any questions or, you know, wondering what this lifestyle is all about. By all means, reach out to me via any of the websites or Facebook or any of that. And I'd be more than happy to uh, share my insights and answer any questions. And, and thank you, Danny, so much for having me on. I really appreciate it and hope what I shared was, uh, was inspirational and, and really just encourages other people to just go for it and you know the best thing about it I think is we went for it and now we know if we decide to go another route we know we're making that decision based on the experience of having went for it and and that idea that we never would have had this had we not just basically closed our eyes and jumped and said let's just do it <laughs> we'll see what happens <laughs> it is possible you just have to have uh, be able to take that leap of faith and just say you know, things are going to happen, but I'll figure it out. I'm smart enough. I'm capable enough. And we're going to make this work. We have a strong reason why. And it'll help us to overcome the challenges. So best of luck exactly. to you. Yeah, best of luck to you and your family, Brianna. And um, best wishes for your continued success. Thank you. You too. <laughs>